0: Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. So 1st, 2nd Chronicles, they gives a, it gives a rundown of the entire nation of, of Israel and all of the kings, starting with, with uh, Saul, but mainly it talks mostly about King David. Some of you know King David, he wrote most of the Psalms talks a lot about his son, King Solomon, who was the wisest man, the richest king. And then it kind of dwindles from there, all the bad things that happen. And it talks about how after King Solomon, the nation is divided into the north, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. How many of you are familiar with some of this? So they're divided, and basically it judges the kings based on if they followed God, but most of them said, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God tells them, if you continue not to follow me, There are there are bad things that are going to happen. And he uses prophets to do this. He uses prophets to give them warnings that hey, if you don't follow, if your sin continues to go after other things and you continue to pursue other things, then you won't be here long. If you're familiar with the story of Israel under Moses' leadership, God in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he gives them if you stay committed to this covenant that I have given you today, there will be blessings. If you do not, there will be cursings. There will be curses upon you. And what I think is so beautiful about about Old Testament law, because a lot of people get kind of weird about Old Testament law, like we're not under law, that's not an issue with us. But God was demonstrating how he established relationship first. God first delivers, and then he says, this is how you remain in covenant with me. He says first, I'm the God, before the Ten Commandments are ever given, he says, I'm the God who delivered you from slavery. So if you want to stay in relationship with me, here are the things I need you to do. It's never like, hey, you need to do these things, and then you'll be all right with me. No, God says, I made you right with me. I want you to stay right with me. That's, that's what the Ten Commandments are. That's the law throughout the entire Old Testament. But yet, the people of God had a hard time following. They had a hard time obeying, and because their kings led them to worship other gods and other things, over time, after prophets continued to went, go to them, and they killed the prophets and said, you're crazy, we don't want to hear from you, He said, eventually you will be carried away to another land. You'll go into exile into a place called Babylon. And you'll be taken over by a king called Nebuchadnezzar who will come in. And that happens. In 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he destroys the walls of Jerusalem and tears down the temple and carries the people away into captivity. And this is where we find ourselves with Nehemiah. But the one thing that God also said through the prophets, not only did he give warnings, he also gave a promise. He said this. A lot of people know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You could probably quote it. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. A lot of people don't know verse 10. Verse 10 is God's promise that after you're carried away, I'm going to do something. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 10, or 29, verse 10. He says, for thus says the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. See, Jeremiah was the prophet who told the people, we're going to be destroyed. We're gonna, our things are going to fall apart because all religion is doing is, is giving us a false sense of security, but it's not making us righteous. We're not really pursuing God at all. We're just doing things that make us feel good in the moment. We go to church. We do our things. We check our boxes and say we're good with God, and Jeremiah comes and says, you're not good with God. He's going to come in, and we're going to be carried away. And they're like, no, nah, it's not going to happen. He's like, it's going to happen, but here's God's promise. 70 years from now, he'll visit us again, and Nehemiah just so happens to fall within that 70-year window, so Nehemiah, he's a Jew, he's working as a cupbearer to the king of Persia because Persia conquers Babylon, you have King Darius, and then you have Xerxes, and Artaxerxes 300, guys, if you ever watched the movie 300, this is Sparta, you know what I'm saying, that's a part of Artaxerxes, it's all part of the history of it, and so Nehemiah is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, and he's in a high place of authority, and it's been 70 years. It's been 70 years since God has carried them out into exile, and we find in chapter 1, verse 1, we know it's been 70 years because, because of the order of history, and he's in the 20th year of Artaxerxes' rule, so we know it's been roughly 70 years since they were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. And Nehemiah, he speaks to his brothers, In verse 1 and verse 2, and it asks them about the people who have returned to Jerusalem and how things are going. And in verse 3, it says this, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, I told you Ezra and Nehemiah go hand in hand, right? So Ezra, with a group of people, a group of exiles, go back to Jerusalem by the the decree of King Darius 15 years before this period. And Nehemiah knows scripture. He knows what Jeremiah said, that God would return them back to the land of promise. And so he's believing, Nehemiah's believing, that that should be the establishment of the new Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel to be reestablished again. That's what's in his heart. He's hoping by this point, 70 years It's going to happen. Are you following me? He's believing that God is doing it, and then he hears that it's not what we think it should be. Things aren't working out the way we thought they would. The walls are torn down, and the people are in disgrace. And Nehemiah is heartbroken. He's heartbroken. He's asking about them because he knows the promise of God. He knows what God has said, and yet he doesn't see it. He hasn't heard it from those who've been there. Are you following me? So he says this in verse 4 As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, can you relate to Nehemiah in any way? I know that I can. Have you ever been disappointed? I know I've been disappointed. Things I thought were going to work out didn't work out the way I wanted them to. Things that I thought should happen haven't happened yet. Maybe you've been disappointed, and depending on how big the disappointment is, you've, you've experienced heartbreak. Like Nehemiah, you, you hear the words, and you sit, and you weep, and you mourn over the news that you've heard or the situation that you're in, that it's, God, this is not the way it should be. And you carry this disappointment. Can I tell you an embarrassing story? I've been the one who's been the one who's disappointed. Have you ever been the person who's disappointed someone else? There was a time last year, my wife's 30th birthday. That's a big, that's a big time. Coming out of 29 into 30, now she's reached full maturity. And I was so busy with all these other things, I thought, well, we'll just do a simple dinner and it'll be nice and she'll know that she's celebrated. How many of you men know that was one of the worst decisions of my entire life? She was expecting something more and I did not deliver. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that that was probably not the best time in our relationship because I disappointed. I, she wanted something. Now, she didn't ask me, but all men should be mind readers, and so we should have known. <laughs> I should have known. And really, I should have known. But I didn't, and I didn't make it happen. And she was disappointed and heartbroken, because it should have been the way she was expecting it. I didn't celebrate her the way that she deserved to be celebrated. I bet you can probably imagine her disappointment, and I was really kind of disappointed in myself as well, because she had anticipation for something happening for her birthday and experienced something pretty disappointing, and I do want to say that that was last year, and her birthday was on Friday, and so we did something better this year. Can you say glory to God, he has grace? <laughs> Amen. We did something nice for her. We celebrated. And I don't know if she's in the room today, but I did want to recognize her in front of everyone. I think she's in the back with our, with our baby who's asleep. But I wanted to tell you how wonderful my wife is. Not only does she care for our children and care for the house and care for me, but she does so many things that are unnoticed and unseen here at the church, and I just wanted to recognize her on a couple days after her birthday 31, we've got some flowers for her. I'm sure she's live streaming it, so babe, (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) Happy birthday. Come on, would you celebrate? It was a good time. We celebrated. She She loves playing games, and we did one of those escape rooms. Has anybody ever done one of those? Finally, this year, I got a clue. Because I found one in the escape room that I should celebrate my wife on her birthday. But anyway, there she is. Would you give her another round of applause? <laughs> Babe, would you just come up real quick? I know that you don't like to be in front of people, so we'll make it we'll make it fast. But we just wanted to celebrate you and how wonderful and important you are in our lives and my life. And we got some flowers for you. We love it. Would you show your appreciation again? to make up still for last year. <laughs> Babe, I love you. But I think that we've all been in that place before, right? That you were anticipating something happening and it just didn't happen, right? Husbands, have you, am I the only one who's ever dropped the ball on anything like that before? None of you. You're all perfect. <laughs> you guys want to come up here and speak and I'll go sit down. I think that we've all been in that experience before, that place of disappointment. Maybe it's been relationships. You thought this relationship was going to work out. Maybe it's marriage, and you thought marriage was going to be good, and you're just you having a hard time with it. You're wrestling. Maybe it's with that grade in school. You studied all night. You prepped and prepared, and you didn't get the grade you thought you deserved. Maybe it's with that promotion that passed you by. You put in all the work. You were working late hours, and and people know that you deserved it, but you got overlooked, and there's disappointment. Maybe it was with a birthday party that you wanted, and you didn't get it. Disappointment is all around us. I think that we have plenty of opportunity to be let down, don't we? Life is full of opportunities to be disappointed. Would you agree? We have, everywhere we look, the opportunity to be offended, to be disappointed, to become bitter. My question is, what do we do in those situations? How do we respond? Should we just soak in our disappointment and sit in the hurt and the pain and just become more bitter and and angry and isolated? Or should we do what Nehemiah did? Should we do what Nehemiah did? After weeping and mourning, what does he do? He turns to God in fasting and in prayer. This is what he says in verse 5, a part of his prayer. He says this, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now is Nehemiah reminding God that he's an awesome God? Or is Nehemiah reminding himself that God is an awesome God? I think he's reminding himself. I think God knows how awesome he is. I think that we need, in situations of disappointment and hurt, to remind ourselves that we still serve someone who's better and greater than any other disappointment that we might experience in life. Would you agree? I think he's reminding himself. He's getting his priorities right, and he's getting his perspective straight. That no matter the pain and the, 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 the situation that I'm in, I still serve an awesome God, who is faithful and his love never ends. His, his love is steadfast for those who love him and obey his commands. He's telling himself, God is great, God is awesome. God keeps his word, God is a loving God. And then what does he do? He says in verse 6, let my ear be attentive, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. This is an interesting thing because he's disappointed and it feels like he hasn't done anything wrong, but he's recognizing that we are a fallen people and he repents. In times of, of pain and distraction and, and turmoil, He doesn't blame somebody else. He says, we've sinned, and I'm a part of it. We're fallen, and we are hurt people that hurt people. I'm not above this. So I want to come to you, God, and say, if I've played any role in this disappointment or this pain, if I've had a false expectation, or if I've made things that were unrealistic, God, that if I've sinned and caused these things to happen, God, I want to make sure my heart is right with you. And I know that people have sinned, God, and I'm not holding them to a higher standard than I hold myself. Because a lot of times that happens when we're hurt and disappointed by relationships or other people. We're expecting them to be perfect. We're expecting them to get all the things right, check all the boxes. And Nehemiah says, no, I know that we are fallen and we're in a a sin state. And these things happen because of where we're at. And he repents before God. And he lumps himself in there. Sometimes we pray our spouses for our marriages, and we think, God, make them better. God, tell them what to do. Because I'm already doing the right thing. I'm already on the right path. I'm legit. They're not. Help them, Jesus. But Nehemiah doesn't say that. He does say, God, help them. They're not on the right track. But he also said, God, I'm not on the right track either. Help us know you. Help us love you. Help us fulfill what you're doing in our lives. So Nehemiah confesses his sin to get his heart right. Then, Nehemiah knows the promise of God that he will bring his people back to the promised land, and he wants to make sure that he's not in any way working against that promise. Is there anything that I'm doing, God, that would cause this promise to be derailed? That's what a heart of repentance says. God, I want my children to know you and to love you, and I'm going to raise them to know you and to love you, but God, if they get off track first, I'm not going to blame them. I want to make sure that I'm not getting in the way of something, the way that I'm doing it or acting or responding, that I'm not derailing this promise. That takes, something, that takes a lot of humility to do that. Would you agree? It takes humility to say, God, I might not have it all right. I might be a part of the problem. This is what he says in verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you've commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and you keep my commandments, here's the promise that's powerful, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah is going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and chapter 30 and recalling the promises of God, the blessings and the cursings, that God spoke to the people, and he's calling God to fulfill that promise. Sometimes we need, in our prayer time, to ask God to fulfill his promises he's given to us. Sometimes we need to cry out to God, God, I know you remember, but I want to remember your promises, and I want to partner with you that they would be fulfilled. Nehemiah does that, and he's praying Deuteronomy chapter 30, 1 through 3. He says this, this is God speaking to Moses and to the people. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice. In all that I have commanded you today, with all your heart, with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord God has scattered you. And Nehemiah is recalling this and calling upon this promise. In fact, it's God who's stirred Nehemiah's heart in this moment to pursue him and to fulfill God's promise to his people. Some people think the book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah building a wall. It's it's not about Nehemiah just because his name's on it. And he's carrying out the action. It's actually God. It's about God fulfilling his promise all the way back when he gave it to Moses and the people before they were ever a big nation. It was God saying, I know what's going on here, but I'm going to show you how faithful I am. I'm going to show you that I'm a God who keeps promises. I'm going to show you that I have not forgotten you. And I have not forgotten what I've spoken into your life. The book of Nehemiah is about God doing what only God can do. God is the hero in Nehemiah. It's about him. So Nehemiah, his heart gets stirred to build the wall, but it's actually God fulfilling his promise to restore the people. And so Nehemiah knows this because he knows later on, he says, God is the one who put it in my heart. God is the one who's orchestrated it. God's hand has been upon this entire thing, and he says it even in his prayer. In verse 10 he says this, They are your servants. And they are your people, whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Do you know that God is a promise-keeping God? He does what he said he was going to do. And what does God promise us as believers in Jesus? What does he promise those who submit their lives to Jesus and surrender to Jesus? Does he not say that if you come to me, that I will give you abundant life? life more abundantly. Do you know that's a promise that you have as followers of Jesus? He promises that if you put your trust in Jesus and that you turn from your sin and you turn to him, that he will set you free from your sin and make you a new creation. Do you know that's a promise? Some of you have been walking with Jesus, but you've not held on to that promise of being free from something. Can I tell you this morning, there's a promise for you, and God is a promise-keeping God. He is. He's a promise-keeping God. You need to hold on to these promises. Do you know that God promises that he will provide for us in our times of need? He says his children will not be in the streets begging for bread. You don't need to be the ones who are begging for bread. If you're in need, God said, I'll provide for you. That's a promise. God said he promises that he would bless us, not so that we would hoard a blessing, but that we would bless others through that blessing. You are called to be a blessing. So he blesses you to be a blessing. That's a promise that you can hold on to. He promises us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Some of you felt like, man, I, God's so distant from me. I used to know him. I used to be close to him, but I feel like he's so far away. He's always promised you he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never walk away from you. That's a promise. So if you're in your moments of darkness or despair or discouragement or isolation, you can pray this. God, you said you would never leave me. I know you know it. Help me to know it. Help me be reminded that, God, you're a promise-keeping God. That, God, you said you would do it and you'd never leave me. He also promised that his love would be unfailing and his love would be unconditional towards us, giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to know him and to love him. God promised these things to us. He gives these, these promises to us. And they will come to pass in our lives if we will humble ourselves and turn to him. Amen? He promised the nation of Israel that after 70 years of exile, he'll return the people to Israel, back to their homes. And he is in the process of doing it through Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't know that he would be a part of God's promise until he heard the words and prayed the prayer and he felt God stir his heart. Do you know that you may not even know that you're a part of God's promise, not only in your life, but maybe in someone else's life too, until you experience the heartbreak or the disappointment of not seeing what you thought would be there, and that disappointment leads you to pursue Jesus, and in that pursuit of Jesus, he makes you a part of the solution? Is that not powerful? That you're thinking God's going to do it somewhere out here, and he's saying, no, I'll do it right here first. I'll stir you to be a part of it first. That's powerful. That's powerful as powerful. Nehemiah was a part of it, and he didn't know it until that day. Do you know that you and I have a choice today? That in the midst of our own disappointments, we can either grow more resentful, we can can become more bitter, we can embrace more of the pain, or in the midst of our hurt, and midst of our pain, in the midst of our disappointment, we can turn to God and embrace His promises towards us. We have a choice. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it feels so heavy, the things that we're walking through, that we feel like we don't have a choice, but we still do. We always have a choice to turn towards God, or turn towards ourselves or towards our own pain. And now if you're here this morning, and you've never really turned to God before, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus or turned from your sin and you put your trust in him, then I want to give you that opportunity today. Because the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of surrendering your life to Jesus. Not some other time, not some other place. Now and here. And I believe that God wants to fulfill his promise in your life if you will turn to him and accept him. He has a promise for you today, a promise of new life, new beginnings, and new freedom that you've never experienced before if you'll turn to Jesus. The first thing that Nehemiah did when he was praying to God was he repented and he confessed his sins to God and then he asked for forgiveness. That's a beautiful illustration of what we do when we come to Jesus. I also want to give a couple of other challenges for us who are walking with Jesus today, for those who are new in the faith and maybe you're experiencing some disappointments in your life or setbacks, I want to encourage you to not turn towards bitterness. Just because you've given your life to Jesus, you think everything's going to be easy. And you know that's not the case. Things will become challenging. But in the challenge, continue to humble yourself and pursue Jesus. In your disappointment, Don't turn inwardly and become bitter about the situation. Run to the one who's got the solution to your problem. Jesus is always the one who's with you. And that you can remind yourself of God's promises and that you can remind yourself to stand firm in his promises for your life. Declare those promises over your life. God, you're with me. You're not against me. And next week, I'm excited about next week, y'all. You need to be here next week because we're going to be talking about now that we're standing in the promises of God, what do we do once we're standing in them? Nehemiah shows us an example of action that is taken once he knows the promise of God. Next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to take action in a step of faith. You need to be here. Those of us who have been standing In the promises of God for years, those of you who are seasoned veterans of following Jesus, I want to challenge you as well this morning that you've been walking with Jesus. You know what it means to be faithful. You know that God has been faithful to you. I would challenge you to let it be known, to tell those around you, to tell those who are in your family who are far from God or maybe struggling, remind them of what God has done in your life. Don't sit back. God has given you a testimony, a word to to, to speak to other people. He's delivered you so that you can help others be delivered. He's stayed faithful to you so that you can demonstrate that God is a promise-keeping God. And those words are meant to encourage those who are around you. You need to tell the next generation of God's faithfulness to his people. You need to let them know what it looks like to follow Jesus throughout the years and what his goodness looks like. Amen? It's up to you. It's on your shoulders, those who've walked with Jesus for years, to say, follow me. I know God is leading us this way. I know God is a faithful God. I know God is a promise-keeping God. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. I don't care what the, the ruins look like of your life. God can always rebuild your life into something beautiful. And that's what God is going to continue to remind us through this series as we walk through the book of Nehemiah. Could you imagine what it looks like if we would hold on to this promise, if we we would walk in in knowing that God is a promise-keeping God? Could you imagine what our homes would look like? Could you imagine what our city would look like? If we, a people who belong to God, know that God is for us and if he is for us who can be against us I believe that it would look like people who have the joy of the Lord not because of their current situation or circumstance because everything's working out but because they know the one who holds tomorrow if God said he's going to work it out I can have joy today because he's going to work it out I believe that if we hold on to this promise that God is a promise keeping God then then we would have peace in our homes we would have peace at work Because he works out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. I think that's what it would look like. I think that's what it can look like in your life today. Filled with joy, because you know him. Filled with peace, because you don't have to be ruled by worry. You know the one who holds the stars. Amen. Could you imagine what would happen in our city if a people would walk around confident knowing that God's in control and he keeps his word? Can you imagine? My challenge for us today is take a hold of the fact that God will do what he said he will do. Amen?